One day in June 2015, Sarah Martin received a message on her phone from a stranger. It was about her 21-year-old daughter Alice, who was travelling solo in Europe at the time. And Sarah wondered whether to respond to that message, and it's very lucky that she did. Sarah and her family tell the story of what happened next in Sarah's book, Dear Psychosis. Sarah Martin is with us today, and importantly, her daughter Alice Martin is here as well. Alice, Sarah, welcome to you. Good morning, and thanks for having us, Hilary. It's a pleasure. Thank you so much and happy International Women's Day. And to you. Now, Alice, I'll start with you. You were in, in, in Istanbul, in Turkey, uh, at, the, at the time that things went really wrong. Can you describe for us what was going on for you? Oh, it was very chaotic. So at the start, uh, it was quite a high. I felt very good about myself, which is actually where the picture for the cover came from. Um, I was alone in the apartment I was staying at and I had a thick black marker and I thought it felt really good to draw on my face and I felt so in the moment. So that was sort of before um, things started getting a bit more hectic. But yeah, that picture really describes quite a, a high feeling for me and it was before things tumbleweeded and got very intense and everything was very overwhelming and dangerous actually. Yeah, that picture is incredible because you can see uh, the impact it would have on your mum as well when she first saw it. Alice, your brain was using the circumstances you were encountering to create this kind of altered reality. Tell us a bit about that, the, the bardo and the bull and how they became part of your experience. So I was quite academic growing up. I loved reading and I'd just read, before travelling overseas, I'd read the Tibetan Book of the Dead. Um, And in the Tibetan Book of the Dead, they describe the bardo, which is this place in between life and death. So after you die, they described you having to face many challenges. And I believed I was stuck in the bull, which was another name for the bardo. And I was encountering all these dramatic situations which were testing me. And I had to stay alive in order to keep other people alive, really. It was quite scary. I had lots of pressure on me because I believed that everyone who had um, killed themselves before was stuck with me and I needed to survive the bardo in order for their spirits to survive. So yeah, there were lots of delusions that came up just personalised to my own experience. Very tricky. Yeah, really scary and this big, big sense of responsibility as well. Sarah, getting a message like that about Alice, you know, I'm worried about your daughter, please get in touch. That must have been extremely worrying. What was going through your mind as you prepared to travel over to Turkey? Well, we actually wondered when we first got the message, was it a scam? Is this real? Is is this is our daughter really in trouble or is this some international Um, man trying to to get money or something from us. When we talked about it and we talked to this most amazing man, we realised that Alice was in trouble and we needed to get there and we needed to get there fast. By the time we got there 24 hours later, we met Alice at the airport and the first vision that we saw of her was a girl with something wrapped around her head, uh, her dress on backwards with a skirt on top of the dress and we realised immediately that this man had saved Alice's life. So we feel absolutely overwhelming love for our our, our lovely friend Hussein who saved her. 
Alice, tell us a bit about Hussein, your boyfriend at the time, and the other friends that you made in, in Istanbul. How were they helping you through this? They were just wonderfully present and they knew that something was terribly wrong. Um, so they were looking out for me in all areas. They were putting the bed by the door so that I couldn't go walk about at night. Someone was lying in that bed so that they would wake up. Um, they were making sure I got fresh air outside because the apartment I was staying at was actually underground <laughs> and it was very stuffy. Um, so, yeah, they were very present. They were trying to talk to me at all times and they were trying to have someone around me at all times. And, of course, Hussein reaching out to my family, um, that was just miraculous. He was so supportive. He'd ask me, where have you gone when I'd go to the bathroom and have a terrible experience alone in the bathroom? Um, yeah, they were all very supportive. And uh, what was it like seeing your mum and your brother Jesse for the first time when they finally arrived on the plane? To be honest, I was in quite a shock uh, because mum didn't have her jewellery on and it sort of confirmed some of the delusions that I was having, that she'd had to have a really hard time to arrive in Istanbul to collect me. So, yeah, I was just really terrified that something really bad had happened. <laughs> yeah. It's an amazing book to read. It's called Dear Psychosis by Sarah Martin and her family, really different chapters written by different people. We're speaking with Sarah and her daughter, Alice Martin, who's been through this experience today. Uh, Sarah, you and Jesse, Jesse was training to be a doctor at the time, so you and Jesse travel to Istanbul. Jesse's drawing on his copy of the, the DSM-5 and his term of psychiatry training. How well equipped did you feel at the time to deal with and support uh, what was happening with Alice? That's a really good question because in the beginning when we were talking about that we had to go over to, to get Alice, I was just going to go by myself. Now, I'm not a great traveller. Uh, Jessie has been travelling a bit and it was the best decision that we ever made. Uh, I could not have left Alice alone by herself and it would uh, to get around uh, Turkey and Istanbul, getting in and out of the airport would have been an impossibility by myself. So by having Jessie there, he actually took a little medical history from our beautiful Syrians and was able to get to the root of the problem. And we were then had to face the fact that something was very wrong with Alice, but we weren't sure. We weren't able to do that diagnosis ourselves. We just knew that she had had some sort of mental ill health episode. And so you, you brought her home. That, that brought its own challenges, just getting home on the plane. Mm. But that was just the beginning of the journey for, for Alice and for you. How did it go in your family? Your, your youngest son, Harry, was 13 at the time. How did you go integrating Alice back into the family and, and supporting her as well as trying to make sure everyone else was all right? So I'm a nurse. So my husband Shane and I would always discuss that we wouldn't have secrets, that we wouldn't have whispered conversations of things going on around us, that if something happened, we would try and, uh, to the best of our ability, tell all, all our children what was going on. So when, uh, before we even left for Istanbul, Harry was aware that Alice, something was wrong with Alice. He wasn't sure what was wrong with Alice. But when we got home and then Alice was admitted to hospital into first the PEC unit, the psychiatric emergency care unit of our local hospital, uh, we told him what had happened. And 
after she got out of the PEC unit into our care about four days later, I had to do up a sign and I had it in our house. And the sign was numbers of triple O, um, the emergency mental health numbers, and what to do if something had happened, if Alice was angry when he got home or if Alice had done something to herself or if Alice was angry at him, who to call. Now, I cried after that, but when I told him about it, he was like, okay, right, this is what I do. All right, I'm going outside, mum playing basketball with the kids on the street, see ya. And he was amazing. And it is the resilience of our youth. And I think to the credit of our family that we decided within our family to be honest and truthful outside of the family, well, that was another thing. We remained silent. And why was that, Sarah? We were scared. We, the stigma of mental illness, uh, we didn't want that to dog Alice. We wanted to make sure that we had a, a diagnosis rather than saying, uh, you know, that she was ill. We kept quiet uh, until we had a diagnosis. And even then, only a handful of people knew that Alice had suffered a psychotic episode in Istanbul. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm aware that, Alice, this might, might be quite difficult to hear discussed on the radio and to talk about yourself. I, I, I love, too, how there's so much in the book that Sarah Martin and Alice Martin and, and the family have written about how proud they are of the incredible uh, resilience that you've shown, too, and the way you've been able to kind of claw back uh, a semblance of reality and, and, and heal because it's such a huge thing to go through a psychosis. Alice, can I ask you what your recollection of getting diagnosed and retreat, receiving treatment for that episode? I was quite reluctant to accept any sort of mention of drug-induced psychosis. I remember saying to my psychiatrist, no, it's just because I fell in love for the first time and uh. that's why. Um, so all that sort of emotion around... <sighs> being diagnosed with some sort of episode, it just manifested as a bit of resistance. For me, I was more like, how do I get better? What's the things I need to do to be able to sit down with a colouring book for more than two minutes? Because I was finding it so difficult to concentrate. My activities were two minutes of colouring book, two minutes of listening to music, two minutes of reading a book, maybe even less. I was swapping from book to book. So it wasn't so much the diagnosis for me, but like understanding how I could move forward. Um, I was very re reluctant to accept any labels. Well, and it sounds like you had a mixed experience with your friends too. Tell us about uh, Loza and how important she is to you. Oh, Loza, she is just the best friend I could imagine. <laughs> um, I'm getting emotional. Maybe mum can take over. Loza accepted Alice for who she was. When Alice was at her sickest, she couldn't, she really couldn't read, she couldn't write, she couldn't watch television. Loza would come over and, and just sit and be with her and be in Alice's space and not expect Alice to do anything. Loza and Alice had a few other friends, Sam and JD, that were totally amazing and stuck by her 100% of the time. Mental illness is confronting and chaotic and it is scary. And that's what I think people turn away from. And persistence and patience 
is the most amazing gift friends and family can give. And Alice has got something more she wants to say. So I think one of the commonalities between Loza, JD, Sam, um, was that they were really able to sit in the moment, be silent, just hold the space. And they were persistent. They didn't give up on me. They were lovely, always there and always open ears, even if I wasn't really ready to talk about anything. Well, and Alice, eventually you were diagnosed with bipolar affective disorder. How has that changed things, having that diagnosis in your life? Well, again, I was reluctant to accept any label. And I initially preferred the term manic depression because I thought that described uh, better the up and down that I had experienced twice in my life. Uh, Well, the downs had come about here and then from when I was 15, but um, I kept that under wraps. So <laughs> mum laughs. <laughs> laugh um, now. <laughs> yeah. It's so true. <laughs> um, yeah, so hindsight is very powerful. And actually, I think the diagnosis is helpful because it, it gives me an ability to connect with other people, to know that I'm not alone and that there are a certain amount of people that do have this uh, bipolar affective disorder. And now moving forward, it means that I can monitor myself, I can monitor my sleep, I can monitor anything unusual, any stressor that's unusual in my life. And that's a real strength for me because otherwise, apart from the monitoring, I'm very much normal, high functioning. And yeah, I'm, I'm quite, you know, at my baseline, which is good. Yeah, well, I understand that, you know, you're living out of home and studying psychology now. How are things feeling for you now? How are you feeling about the future? Well, I am very busy juggling work, life, study, and I have a puppy, so uh, (laughs) yeah, she's gorgeous. Um, I'm feeling very positive about the future, so yeah, I don't know what it's going to bring and what doors the book might open for me, but I'm very much happy to hear the reception of the book is quite positive and lots of people are coming out saying that they've had people go through similar things and they didn't really understand what it was about and what sort of things psychosis involved. So that's really positive for me. Yeah. Well, and Sarah, what do you hope for from the book in terms of changing the way we generally approach psychosis and people who've experienced psychosis, but also the the treatment regimes and the the institutional structures you had to navigate through? Well, firstly, we wanted to break the silence uh, because we were silent for so long. So by breaking our silence, we hope that others know that are going through this, that they're not alone. As a caregiver of someone that has mental illness, it is very silent. People don't want to out. We really don't want to out our kids. It's up to them to say that they have what they have. I I think that by others listening to us and hearing that we have grieved. We In that first year, we grieved for, we thought we had lost with Alice. We weren't sure how high functioning she would become. Uh, we weren't sure there was no diagnosis. It lo- takes a long time to diagnose uh, mental illness. Uh, so that's why it took two years for Alice to be diagnosed bipolar. Um, we think she is amazing. We think by speaking, we hope that others feel that they can talk and if you are out there and you are feeling like you are suffering please speak to someone or write it on a piece of paper and hand it to someone write a card if you're a caregiver or um, a a grandparent or a mum or a dad and you you're worried about your child or friend 
write them a little note and just say how much you love them and care for them and how much you appreciate them because everybody needs to feel needed and sometimes suffering mental health we forget that person needs to be needed and needs to do things too yeah it's a really brave book and it's so illuminating how a completely ordinary family can just have to learn how to go through this stuff together it's a it's a really wonderful thing you've done thank you both so much for joining us on life matters today alice martin and her mother sarah martin Thanks, Hilary. Thank you. Cheers. The book is called Dear Psychosis, A Story of Hope and Love Through a Family's Journey of Mental Health. And if you or a family member or someone you know needs support with complex mental illness, sane.org is a great place to start. You can call their hotline too. I'll give you that number. 1-800-187-263. Think bigger about the world we live in. Ask your smart speaker to play ABC RN.